0: If you do live in the North Toronto area and are looking for a local church, we invite you to join us at one of our Sunday morning gatherings. Our desire is that God would use this to encourage you with the hope we have in Jesus. I'm just delighted to be here this morning to be uh, speaking with you or to be sharing a, a message from God's Word. And you know, uh, as we were talking about the message this morning, uh, one of our, our guys said it looks, it looks really good, or, or, or the sermon looks good. Uh, I mean, you know, it's one thing for it to look good on paper, but the thing, how does it sound? How does it come across? And, you know, sometimes people ask how long we take to prepare a message. Well, really? As a preacher, the only answer to that is a lifetime. And the passage I want to share with you this morning is a passage that, that I've grown to, to love. And um, I don't know what you do on your birthdays. I don't know what you do on, um, say, all uh, year's eve, or we call it all year's night. But, you know, one of the things that I usually do on my birthdays and then on, on, um, on the 31st of December, whatever you call it, uh, I usually read Psalm 90 because it is such an important psalm. And there, I, I don't think there is another portion of Scripture that brings uh, time in pr- its proper perspective. You know, when we, when, when we look at, at time... Uh, what, do we, what do we do? Someone has said that, you know, uh, a lot of us are killing time, but that's, that's really not true. When we look at it, really, time is killing us. And this, this portion of Scripture this morning uh, that I want to share, it's, it's very simple. It's a prayer and a plan for the new year. I, I, I'm not sure how many of you make New Year's resolutions. And it is estimated that about 40 to 50% of people, they make New Year's resolution. But with, within the first week, it starts to go downhill. You know, we usually kid around that the first week, some people forget what their resolution is. But truly, it is said that um, 40 to 50% of the people make New Year's resolutions. But it is said that 92% of those resolutions fail to reach their goals. That being the case, it seems like only 8% really hit the target. And this morning, what I want to do is I want to talk to you a little bit about uh, resolutions, about goals, about a plan for life. And, you know, there is nothing wrong with making resolutions. And I'm one of the persons that that will never tell you. That don't make resolutions. You know, some people will say, I just have one resolution. I don't make resolutions. But, but again, you know, they say you, you aim at something, or nothing rather, you hit it every time. So when we have resolutions, it's not a bad idea. What, the, the thing is, we need to turn our, our resolutions into goals. And we, we, we need to give it an action plan. And it has to be tied to a greater plan. Again, I am not sure what you do for your life or what you do with time. Sometimes a lot of us, we, we have a checklist every day. And the checklist is okay. And that's, that's more for time management. But I think one of the things that we need to do is not, do much, not so much do time management as we, as we should be doing personal management. And I believe that each one of us, we need to have a strategic plan for our life. You know, you ask a, a, a person, what would you do for the rest of your life? What are you living for? Who are you living for? And how are you living? So this portion of Scripture here that we have, um, it, it, my aim this morning is I want us to learn to count what truly counts in the new year your birthdays, and for the rest of your life. And I trust that um, the things that I say this morning would be, would be helpful. This psalm, as I said, is, is, is very important. It's a timeless psalm. And somebody, your Bibles, I don't know what translation you're using this morning. I'm using the ESV. The ESV says, the caption for this psalm, which is actually a lot of times the suggested themes It says, from everlasting to everlasting. And that idea comes from the the last part of um, verse 2, where it says, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. The the New King James says, the eternity of God and the frailty of man. That is not a bad description of this, this psalm. And then the New American Standard says, God's eternity and man's transitoriness. So again, that is um, something that I want you to uh, remember. And when you read the Psalms, particularly, you need to read the captions. You need to read who the author is. And a lot of times, you would get a setting of the Psalm, and and that would help us to interpret the psalm. So we we definitely need to um, pay attention there. Let me talk a little bit about the identity and the legacy of Moses. You know, if I were to ask you this morning, who are you? What would you say? If I were to ask you, what kind of a legacy are you leaving in this world? What would you you say? But with with Moses, it is very clear. Here the psalm, the caption of of the psalm says, it says, a prayer of Moses, the man of God. So we have here... The identity and the legacy of Moses, one of the things it says he was a man of God. I wonder how many of us this morning, if people were to talk about us or to, were to describe us, they would say that this person is a man or a woman of God. And that is actually used five times in the Bible to refer to Moses. The next thing that we have that is referred to Moses as a servant of God. And my friends, my brothers and sisters, I want to tell you this morning that a lot of us, we like to be served, but a lot of us don't like to serve. And heaven's highest honorary title is to be called a servant of God. Even Jesus came into this world as a servant. Matthew, uh, Mark chapter 10 verse 45 says, The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. So we we see that Moses was called a servant of God. Whose servant are you this morning, if I were to ask you? Then the next thing we find, and that occurs actually five times. The next phrase we have that describes Moses is the servant of the Lord or the servant of of Yahweh. The the names of God are extremely important. And and I'll talk to you a little bit about that as as we, we go through it. So, and he's called a servant of God 15 times. So, my brothers and sisters, I want to let you know that 25 times at least, Moses is described uh, as, as a man of God, as a servant of God. And so, the thing that we have with Moses is, is that he was noted for his prayers. And I don't know of anybody in the scriptures who actually prayed like Moses did, with the exception of the Lord Jesus Christ. I don't know if there is anybody who prayed, prayed with the, the sort of intimacy, the intensity, the humility, and the authority that Moses prayed for. And, and you know, I, I would have you know this morning that, that all of us, if we know Jesus Christ as our personal Savior, we have that privilege of praying like that. This Moses that, that, that the Bible is referring to here was the one who knew his God, and he was known by God. And that is it's on the basis of that that Moses was approaching God. He knew who God was, and God knew him. I mean, I, we, I know that God knows everything. But does God know you this morning? Or when he looks at your life, he would say that, I don't know this person. And it's very interesting. The God who knows everything sometimes say to people, depart from me, I don't know you. So we, we, we want to keep that in, in mind. This morning, if there was a big idea uh, to, to what I, I want to communicate or what I want you to go away with, is this. Prayer is not only petition to God... For him to fulfill our needs and desires, but it is also and more so the proclamation of who God is. Prayer is not just coming to God and asking God for what I need, but prayer is actually the proclamation of God. And Jesus himself actually illustrates that for us. When we look at what we call the Lord's Prayer or the disciples' prayer, he says what? Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth even as it is done in heaven. And then he goes on to petitions. And actually Moses is, is doing exactly something like that. So it's not prayer is not only petitions, but prayer is the proclamation of who God is. And, you know, the reason, one of the reasons why I love this psalm is I don't find another person of Scripture that really tells us who God is. From, from verse 1 to verse 17, we see there are numerous attributes of God that we have there. And very interestingly is the declarations that Moses made and the petitions that he made are actually closely tied to who God is. When we ask God for something, how closely is your petition tied in to who God is? Really, they should. And I think if we know who God is, our prayer lives would be different. Do we really know the God that we are coming to and we are calling out to? So so we have in in this, this big idea... The final and the primary aspect of our prayer is this proclamation of God. It is the proclamation of God in our prayers. And let me, let me encourage you to go to the prayer, some of the prayers in the Old Testament and read them. And you would see that the basis for the prayers of the people of God was actually who God is and not what their needs were. And that's exactly what we have in this portion of Scripture. If I were to give an outline to it or the points that I'm I'm going through here, one is the proclamation of the sovereignty of God. If you're making notes this morning, since I actually send the slides along, I've I've decided to change it up a little bit. It's the proclamation of the sovereignty of God. Where do I get the sovereignty of God? Uh, Verse 1, it says, Lord, the, the, the Hebrew word there is Adonai. What are the names that are used for God? In this portion of Scripture, there are actually four names for God. There, were, there are three separate names or individual names, and then there is one compound name. So he says Adonai, and that has the, the, the word Adonai has the whole idea of master, of Lord, the one who owns everything. So here again, Moses is proclaiming the, the sovereignty of God, and he says, you have been our dwelling place in all generation. He says, before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world. Actually, God doesn't, didn't only form the earth. This verse, is, this verse is saying that he actually formed the universe. And that is how carefully we need to read our Bibles. And and I trust that you will sign up for that course. Let me put a little bit of plug in there for the course that we will be having on, I think it's the 18th. We need to read our Bibles carefully. We need to do more than reading. You know, we need to meditate on it. Day and night, the Lord told Joshua, this book of the law shall not depart out of your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night. So you be careful to do all that is written in it. So, and then we have here, it says, from everlasting to everlasting, thou art God. And, and so, how do we have, um, how is God proclaimed in, this, in these two verses? One, we have the sovereignty of God, because that, that comes from the, the name of God, Adonai. But then it says, you have been our dwelling place. You know, sometimes we talk about God, and we talk about a God who is way out there. Very scarcely we talk about the God that is closer to us than breathing. And and this here, the the word that the theologians use, the the imminence of God. He's close to us. And here Moses is saying, God, you have been our dwelling place for all generation. And not only that, though, but he says, before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you formed the, the earth and the world. Actually, the other thing, this tells me, that God is not only close to us, but God is God is removed from the world in the sense that He is not uh, a part of this world. He is apart towards from this world. And that, the word that we use is we say he's transcendent. You know, the animists and the pantheists will say that God is in everything and everything is God. The Bible does not teach that. The Bible teaches us about a God who created this universe. He existed before the universe. And the universe came into existence because of him. So, so he is he's not a part of um, the world. And then the next thing it talks about is that he's eternal, transcends uh, time. So definitely, we 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 want to look at this, and we need to we need to read our Bibles, and we need to read it carefully, and we need we try we need to try to understand who God is, then we need to understand what does He want us to do, and then the next thing we do is we do it. That's what this communicating the Bible, studying the Bible, reading the Bible, and everything else. That's exactly what it is all about. The, the second part of, this, of the outline is um, we talk about the, the pronouncement against sinful man. So we again, I added not a word there, not only the proclamation of the sovereignty of God, but the proclamation against sinful man. And you know, in this portion of scripture here, uh, we have a number of things. but let me read, verse three to verse 11. You return man to dust and say, return, O children of men. For a thousand years in your sight are but as yesterday when it is past. And as a watch in the night, you sweep them away as with a flood. They are like a dream, like grass that is renewed in the morning. And in the morning it flourishes and is renewed. In the evening it fades and withers. For you brought an end by your anger. By your wrath, we are dismayed. Verse 8 You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. For all of our days passed away under your wrath. We are, um, or rather, we, we bring our years to an end like a sigh. The years of our life are 70. And even by reason of strength 80, yet their span is but toil and trouble. They are soon gone, and we fly away. Who consider the power of your anger, the wrath according to the fear that is due you? This is a, a fearful portion of Scripture. And, you know, as I read this portion of Scripture, I cannot help but reflect on um, what, Mo- what Moses said. Actually, Moses was the one that wrote uh, the book of Genesis. What he said, when he, um, the Lord pronounced the curse on man after, this, after the, uh, the fall in um, Genesis chapter 3, the, the latter part of the curse to man, he says, by the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken For you are dust, and to dust you shall return. That is exactly what Moses is referring to in uh, chapter 3 of uh, this psalm. He says, uh, you return man to dust, and say, return, O children of man. Again, if you have the ESV this morning and you're, you're, you're following along, you see where we have man there, there is a three. Uh, number three. And when you look down at the bottom of the page, it says of Adam. So what the Lord is saying here is his return to dust. Um, and he says, return, O children of Adam. And so one of the things that we have in this portion of Scripture here is we see that it talks about the, the frailty of man. That's what dust is all about. Dust, dust. Dust tells us that we are frail. And um, the other thing this portion of Scripture talks about is the brevity of life. Not only the frailty of uh, a sinful man or humanity, but the brevity of our, of our lives. Uh, you know, in this portion of Scripture, there are actually five images that are given for the, for the frailty and the brevity of man's life. The first one is dust that we have in verse 3. The other one we have is that uh, verse five a is asleep. He says, "You sweep them away, as with a flood, and like a dream, um, or asleep, as some translation says, like grass." That's the other thing that the Bible says to describe our frailty and the brevity of our life is that we are we are like grass. The other thing it says uh, in verse nine, it says that. Um, For all of our days pass away under your wrath. We we bring our eyes to an end like a sigh. You know, this, this portion of scripture is telling us that when you compare man's life or the span of man's life with eternity, it is like very short, very short. And so the, the other thing it says is that, that we fly away, verse 10. It says, um, yet as soon as they are soon gone, rather, and we fly away. You know, we sing that song, I'll fly away. That, that, that's not, this song is not referring to, or this psalm is not referring to that verse because the, the person that wrote some glad morning when this life is over, I'll fly away, Actually, they had a specific thing about their flying away. They are flying away to be with the Lord. But actually, this, this psalmist here, Moses is saying, uh, not only that we, we, our life is short and we are dust, but he says that we are gone. You've you got to remember the background with which Moses is writing this psalm. We don't know exactly when he wrote this psalm, but I suspect... Moses wrote this psalm towards the end of his life. Remember, he he, he lived to be 120 years old. Uh, at 40, his life was just starting. At, at 80, um, or at the end of uh, at 80, rather, his ministry was just starting. And so he, he lasted for about not 100 about 120 years for 120 years. You ever think about the life of Moses, what it would have been like? You know, one of the things that he saw, he's, he saw death all over in the wilderness. During the wilderness wandering, if you remember, there were, there were over 600,000 men of military age. That is actually 20 years and over that, that, that came out of Egypt. But because of their reluctance to enter in the promised land, when he sent the spies Only Joshua and Caleb came back with a positive report. And the people murmured and they grumbled and stuff like that. And then the Lord said as a result of that, that none of them will enter into the promised land. And actually he was talking about those that were of military age. So for this this time of Moses, he has actually seen over a half a million people died. And this is what, these verses here are actually talking about the the, the brevity of our life, the frailty of our life. Now, not only that, it actually talks about the the sin in our lives or or the sinful man. Verse 8 says, you have set our iniquities before you and our secret sins in the light of your presence. I don't know what a verse like that does to you. Do you realize that everything that we do, we do in the presence of God? And here is where we have the attributes of God, what we believe about God, actually impacting our lives. If we were to believe, really believe, that everything we do is in clear view of the sight of God, and He knows exactly what we do, I wonder if we would do some of the things that we do. So he talks about the, the iniquity of man. The next thing Moses talks about in this psalm, he actually talks about the adversity of man. And where, where do I get that? Let's, um, let's have a look and see. He says here in um, verse 10, he said the years, the years of our life are 70 or even, uh, by reason of strength, 80. Actually, you know, I turned 71 this year. Or last year. And my friends that I ministered in Guyana, they, they kid around. They says, boy, you, you are on bonus time now. <laughs> and I don't know how many of you in the room are actually 70. Or if you're strong enough. Like, I, I must be strong. Because I'm going towards 80 now. But what Moses is saying here in terms of eternity, 70 or 80 years is like a speck of sand on the seashore. You know, and what he says, he says, yet the span is but toil and trouble. But you know, the thing is, it's one thing to live a long life. But I usually say if, 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 you, if your life is, is miserable, all you have is what? A miserable long life. And the thing that we need to do is we need to fix that. And the, the person that would fix that is Jesus Christ. But we have adversity. And boy, the children of Israel, they knew exactly what that was all about. They knew what adversity was all about. The next thing, the next part of my outline here is we talk about a pronouncement against sinful men. And then the, I come down to the next part of this psalm, which is the petition of the servant. Moses is the servant of God, the man of God, for the servants. You see, there, 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 we have two distinct groups of people in this psalm. We have those that are actually spending their lives under the judgment of God. Those whose lives are short, but it is yet shortened by sin. And then we have from verse 12 to the end of the psalm, we have, is referred to those who are servants of God. And, and Let me read what it says. It says, so teach us to number of our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Return, O Lord. Actually, you remember verse 3, what it says? The Lord says, return, O children of man, to dust. But l- listen how Moses prayed. And you got to look at some of the petitions that Moses made. And a good place to look at some of those is Exodus chapter 33. To see how God had said to Moses and the children of Israel that I will not go with you. Because if I go with you, I will have to destroy you. And then we have dropping down to, say, verse 7. We see Moses, after he pitched the tent of meeting, the Bible says that he used to speak to God face to face. Or literally, it means mouth to mouth as a man speaks to God. Do you speak to God like that? And then coming down, Moses said to the Lord, he says, you've told me that you know me by name. Yet you have not said to me clearly what you will do, And, and, and it, the Lord has said He was not going to go with them. And then because of the prayer of Moses, we see God changed His mind, and God says, "I will go." You need to read that. You need to read Psalm 30, I mean Exodus 33. And so let's go down, and he says, "Return. How long? Have pity on your servants." There's where I get the idea of a servant praying for their servants. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love. There there we have an attribute of God. He he, he talks about um, earlier, he says, have pity on us, have compassion on us. As some of the translations uh, said, like the New King James and the NIV. The New American Standard says, be sorry for us. And this, this idea of returning here is, is the word return is a very interesting word. It has, it has to do with God relent. You know, from verses 3 to verse 11, we have all this, this dismal picture. But well, we have Moses now, a servant of God, praying for the servants of God. How, how do you pray for others? How, how do you pray for yourself? Folks, prayer is more than talking. Prayer is more than making requests. It is a proclamation of who God is, as I said. And so it has to do with relent, oh God. It has to do with repent. God, change your mind. It has to do with the whole idea of restoring us. It has to do with reviving us. And my prayer for you is that this year you would be praying that God would revive you. That you would live in the light of the promises and the provisions of God. Jesus says, I am come that they may have life and have it more abundantly. My prayer for you is that this year you would experience the abundant life that the Lord has for you. You know, I I believe that the the children of God are underachievers. We're living below what God has promised us and what he has provided for us. I pray that this year it will be a year that you would experience God in your life that you've never experienced him before. And my prayer is that our church, a young church, just a few months old, that this year we would seek the the face of God and we would see Him. And we would see Him at work in our personal lives, our families, in our church, our community, and in our world. Return, uh, Moses is saying, when God says, return to dust, ye sinful men. Moses is playing with God. And he says, God, return, return. Then verse 14 satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love. The, the, the Hebrew word there is hesed. You've probably heard of, of that word before. It's translated loving kindness. And he um, says, that we may rejoice in you and be glad all of our days. Now, he's not talking about the 70 years. He's not talking about this, 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 you know, like a sigh or a sleep or a watch of the night. Where, where Moses says that a thousand years with God is like a watch in the night. But he, he says, all of our days. And he says, make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us. For as many years as we have seen evil. And boy, did they see evil. Can you imagine in the course of 40 years to see over a half a million people died around you? Some of them your your families, your loved ones, your closest friends. And Moses is saying, have pity on us. Show us your loving kindness. And then in verse uh, 16 says, let your works be shown to your servants and your glorious power to your children. To their children let the favor actually if you again if you're following very closely and you're reading your Bible and you will see there's a two by favor there you look down at the bottom and it says beauty you know one of the amazing things that I that, that I find that a lot of times we ignore the margin the margin notes in our Bibles and, and a lot of times I find that the the, the, the footnote Or the alternative translation that they give you is a better translation. That's why you need to read that. And actually here it is not talking so much about the favor of God or or the grace of God. But it is this word here um, is, is talking, in verse 17, rather that word favor there is actually the word that we have the name Naomi from. And you know, Naomi has to do with... The name means my delight or or pleasant one. Remember after she came back, the people um, called her Naomi. She says, don't call me Naomi. Call me Mara, bitter. You see, so this this idea here has to do with with pleasantness. So let let your favor or the pleasantness of of the Lord our God be upon us, and establish the work of our hands upon us. Yes, establish the works of our hands. You know, here we have, we have four petitions. And uh, let me talk very quickly about these petitions, and then we'll, we'll wrap it up. Um, the four petitions, the first one is, show us how to count and what counts, so that we may live wisely. Verse, verse 12. You know, um, in the text it says, show us to number our days. But Moses is actually talking about more than that. In the light of the fact that our life is, we are frail, our life is brief, we are sinful, and um, we have lots of trouble. Moses is saying, Lord, in the light of all of that, so. You look at verse 12, there is a little word there, so. He says, as a result of what we see in verse 3 to verse 11, show us to number our days. That, um, can't find it. We may get a heart of wisdom. The Lord is, Moses is saying here, Lord, in the light of what you've just shown us, help us to use time with eternity in mind. Boy, and and when we, here we're standing at the beginning of a, of a new year. And my encouragement to you is that this year, you will not be just counting time, but you will be using time with eternity in mind. Do you know that we only have so long to make an impact on this world? Do you, do you know that we, we only have so long to preach the gospel? Jesus says the night comes when no one can work. That is why Jesus says, I must do the work of him who sent me while it is day. You know, we don't have forever to preach it. People don't have forever to do it. So he says, show us. And then uh, the next one, he says, show us your compassion and loving kindness so that we might find satisfaction in you. Where do you seek satisfaction? I want to tell you that the only place where you would find satisfaction that would last is in in the Lord. The third, as us, verses 13 to 15. Verses, the next, the third petition is, show us or give us a vision of your work and your glory. Actually, the word glory here is a different word from the word kabod. This word here has to do with the splendor of God. And if you remember Exodus 33, after Moses was praying and he was receiving the answers to his prayer, um, when the Lord says, I will do this, I will do that, Moses says, show me your glory. That is what Moses is saying. Moses was not asking God to show me. Um, he, sh- he was saying, show me your splendor, show me your majesty. And, and I don't want to go and preach that text, but the Lord tell Moses, Moses, you don't know what you're asking for. I know we sing that song, show me your glory, show me your glory. Well, I tell you, when, when, when we see the glory of God, what do you think will happen? We would fall on our knees our faces, right? And then the, the, the third petition is show us uh, your favor or your beauty so, and, or your pleasantness and establish the works of our hand. Actually, that's another message. The work that we do, can we truly pray and ask God to establish that? The work that we do, would we like to see that in eternity? I can go on. My time is flying away very quickly here. Let me wrap this <laughs> message up. Um, let me apply the first petition. There are four things that we, we wanna, um, I want to show you here. The first one is um, number of our days and to live wisely has to do with God allow us to use time. With an eternal perspective in mind. And, and folks, I want to let you know. And My wife and I, we, 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 we talk about a lot of things. And you know, for a lot of us, we believe that eternity starts when we die. Eternity started for you when you accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. And would you believe it? The things that we do in this life would last for eternity. And boy... E- e- we need to use time a little bit differently. We would start to use it differently if we believe that what we do in this life here, we would reap the rewards in eternity. And I sure, you know, we are saved by grace. But we have a very deficient theology of what works is all about. We are rewarded according to our works. Our works prove that we are saved, and so on, and so on. So the first thing we have about counting is uh, uh, we need to learn who and what truly counts. From this psalm that we have, who truly counts actually is God. God counts before man. In counting, we need to remember that. God counts before man. The second thing that, that, that I want you to keep in mind when you're, when you're counting uh, who counts and what truly counts... People come before things. I know one of the things we do is that we, we love things and we use people. We need to what? We need to love people and use things. Uh, when we learn to count properly, we, we would realize that the eternal comes before the temporal. When we learn to count f- properly, we would know that purpose comes before pleasure. When we learn to count, we would remember that virtue comes before ventures. You know, I I do a little bit of coaching, a little bit of mentoring, and a lot of times people want to accomplish more in their lives. One of the things that I usually say, that if you want to have more and you want to do more, you first have to be more. And my prayer for you is that this year, you will be more. You'll be more of what God created you to be. Remember, this whole idea of discipleship is not going through a curriculum. Discipleship is being transformed into the likeness of Christ, and that should be a daily thing. And the the other thing that when we're learning to count, actually, we need to remember that serving comes before being served. And there are all kinds of things I can tell you. But the, the, the second thing is, learn who is counting. You know, sometimes we say, who is counting? I want to let you know that the Lord is counting, and so should you. That is why Moses says, teach us to number our days, that we may gain a heart of wisdom or to live rightly. And the other thing we need to do is we need to learn how to count. One thing I want to say about that is we we learn how to count because what we we need to remember is only what will exist in in eternity truly matters. Only what will exist in eternity truly matters. You know, one of the things that we need to get in the habit of doing at the end of our day, before we lay that head on the pillow, we need to ask ourselves the question, what did I do today that is of eternal consequence? What do you think would happen to our lives if we were to live like that? That is what it means to count and learn to count. And then the other thing we do is learn how to live a life that counts. And what does that mean? Is we would learn to live wisely, and we would please God. The next slide, very quickly. How to live a life that counts. We need to think about here and now, but we also need to think about then and there. Do you divide your life like that? You know, here and now, then and there. And what we do here and now determines a lot as to what would happen. Uh, there and then. Uh, a number of things. Live on purpose. We need to fulfill God's purpose for our lives. You know, one, one verse that is helpful there is actually Acts chapter 30, 13, verse uh, 36. Let me, let me read what it says. For Moses, after he had served the, the purposes of God in his own generation he fell asleep. Or David, rather. David, after he had served the purposes of God in his own generation, he fell asleep. Boy, wouldn't that be a good way to die? You know, you fulfill God's purposes in your generation, and then you fall asleep. My prayer is that you will think about that seriously. We need to live with the proper priorities. You know, a lot of us, we quote Matthew six thirty three, but seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. That is priority. We seek the king, and we seek the kingdom. We, we need to live uh, with urgency. We need to live with passion. We need to live with intensity. And there is nobody that lived with more intensity than Jesus. Remember that story in John chapter 4? Um, he he was hungry, and he was thirsty, he was tired, and he was at the well. And then the woman came, and he started to talk to her. And then after they were talking, the disciples came, and they were saying, uh, Master, eat something, eat something. And Jesus says that I have food of which you know nothing about. He says, um, my will is to do the work of the Father. Or my purpose is to do the work of his Father and to finish the work. That is why, you know, when he comes to the end of the cross, he could have said it was finished. In John chapter 17, he says, Father, I've glorified you on earth by finishing the work that you have given me to do. God, God has a work for each one of us to do. How are we doing as far as finishing that work is concerned? You know, Paul, Paul, in one of his letters, he, he, he told, uh, I think it was Epiphras, he says, he says, uh, tell him to finish his ministry. And by this morning, the Lord is telling you to get with the program, finish the work. And then the next thing we have, he said, live with, um, live with a plan. Proverbs 16, verse 9 says, a man's mind, or a man's mind rather, plans his ways. But the Lord directs his step. You know, when we ask the Lord to, to bless our work, what are we asking him to bless really? We have to have something. That, that Planning is not unscriptural. It is not unspiritual. So we definitely need to do that. And the next thing I want to tell you is that we need to live according to the principles of God's word. And that is why Joshua 1.8, the Lord told Joshua that this book of the law shall not depart out of your mouth but you shall meditate on it day and night so you'll be careful to do everything that is written in it. Folks, I must close. New Year's resolution based on self-will and self-effort will not suffice. The only thing that will be sufficient is a lifetime decision and commitment to Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And if you're committed to Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you would learn to count. You would know who counts. And not only that, we will count. My prayer is the Lord will bless you. And that Psalm 90, verse 12, would haunt you for the rest of this year. Let me pray very quickly. Father, we want to thank you and praise you this morning for your word. We thank you for speaking to us. And Lord, I might have stuttered, but you surely did not. This morning, you're asking us to use time with an eternal perspective. Lord, this morning, you're asking us to live on purpose. This morning, Lord, you're asking us to use whatever resources that you have given to us so that we can live wisely and please you. I thank you for my brothers and sisters. I pray, Father, that during this week, during this month, during this year, it will be the best time of their life because they've chosen to seek you and serve you and live for you. Thank you for speaking to us. We ask it in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. For more resources or information about Hope Church, visit Hope Toronto North dot com.